You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Transform the way you hunt with the all-new base cellular trail camera connected by the Moultrie Mobile app. Moultrie Mobile's industry-best app gives you complete control over your camera settings, up-to-the-minute updates from the field, and other interactive scouting tools on your smartphone or computer. Features like weather forecast, advanced species recognition, interactive maps, and a whole lot more. For more information and to make your purchase, visit www.moultriemobile.com. Go Wild is a free social community created for and by hunters. This means that unlike mainstream social media, your trophy pictures won't be censored. They're encouraged. As you spend time on Go Wild, you will earn awesome rewards such as gift cards, free swag, and big discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex. You will even earn $10 just for signing up. Visit DownloadGoWild.com and sign up today. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. All right, guys, welcome to today's show. And Brian and I, we're going to have a little BS session before our guest jumps in, but Ethan Pateman, he's going to hop on, and I would go over his whole resume, but all you need to really know is that this guy guided in the Bob Marshall, and so if that doesn't give him credibility, I don't know what does, um, but it's going to be a good episode, man. Yeah, and if, and if you don't know what the Bob Marshall is, you, you're either listening to the wrong podcast or you need to listen to a lot more Western Rookie episodes, because I would <laughs> say the Bob Marshall is probably one of the like it's a top ten famous wilderness area for sure. Oh yeah, I have I have yet to go. I want to go up there so bad, and who knows, man? Maybe here in the next couple of years. But this is this is the type of place you don't go as a rookie, unless unless you're that guy that's just like all in all the time. Then you can go and kind of figure out how hard elk hunting can be. Oh yeah, I read Cameron Haynes's book Endure. And he said a big part of why he got into long distance running was because they switched from hunting Oregon to hunting the Bob Marshall and and went in there. And he was like 20 miles in and he's like, well, if I can run a marathon like 26 miles, that means I could just like run out of the Bob Marshall if anything ever happened to me or like anything ever goes wrong. I could just run my way right out. (laughs) Yeah, unless it's like a grizzly attack. Yeah. And then you're still 20-something miles in. Yeah, unless it's a grizzly attack or a lot of – <laughs> that was when he was young, and he even says, like, like I, I realize how silly this sounds, but I was thinking, like, a marathon's 26 <laughs> dude, miles. I mean, the Bob is 26 miles deep. Like, I'll just start running marathons so I could have just run out of the Bob Marshall. If, if that's what kicked him into gear, man, maybe I need to go hunt the Bob Marshall and turn into Cam Haynes – I, I'm not going to say 2.0. Cam Haynes, 0.5, maybe. I'd be happy to be 0.5. You you guys are about the same size, and you're you're on the same trajectory as him with ink. Oh, yeah, there you go. He's pretty is tatted. He, he is pretty tatted. Is he? I thought he was even shorter than me. 
Because well, I'm not like a tall guy. I'm not a short guy. I'm just under six I'm feet. Just a guy. <laughs> you're, dude. No, you're a big guy. You're not. You're not an average size dude. I think he's like five six, five five. Yeah, I was gonna say. I thought he was pr- quite a bit shorter, but I've never stood next to him. Just in videos, I'm like, I think he's probably pretty short. Yeah, when you see him next to his truck, and you're like, yeah, that's either a really jacked up truck, or you're not a very <laughs> tall dude. Either way, it doesn't matter. Well, I, I don't think he helped himself out because I think he does have a jacked up truck too. Yeah. So I mean, it just it just uh, goes against his height, I guess. I've seen guys like with camera work. I mean, a lot of actors they do camera work to make themselves look like their normal height. But apparently, there's like a whole list of people, big name actors that are really short, and you just couldn't tell because of the the cinematography. Yeah, you're talking about like Kevin Hart? No, Kevin Hart, everybody knows he's tiny. <laughs> yeah. But like Tom Cruise, you know, Tom Cruise, I would have never guessed he was a small guy. Really? And then years ago, I found out that he's pretty small. I think he's like 5'6". Well, and it's it's funny because like you can't do anything about your height and everyone like has a number that they wishes they were. And I, I have a sneaking suspicion everyone's number is like three inches taller than they actually are. Like no matter yeah, how tall you are, accurate. like everyone wishes they were three inches taller. But my brother's 5'10", and I'm 6'2", and that difference alone makes a huge difference when we're out in the mountains elk hunting because I will cross, like, there's there'll be logs where I'll cross in stride, and he has to, like, stop and climb over them. Dang. Yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, once you go from anything under to six, anything under six feet to anything over, unless you're awkwardly built, I feel like that's a big jump. And I mean, I'm with you, dude, if I was three inches taller, I'd be super pumped. In fact, the other day I was sitting in the bedroom and my legs kind of hurt and I had done uh leg day like three days earlier. And I was like, man, I have like those growing pains in my legs. And I turned to my wife, I go, babe, what if I just grew like this late in life, just put on another three inches. And she's like, that'd be pretty cool. I was like, well, one I'd thin out. I wouldn't even have to go to the gym. I'd like thin out as I grew into that frame. But yeah, if I could be 6'2", I'd be all about it. Yeah, I'm going to stretch into these cheeks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, dude, so what? what's up in your world? What's new? You're getting a lot of snow, I'm guessing, along with everybody else on the northern border. Yeah, we're getting snow. I mean, it's not as bad as they made it seem on the radio, right? I mean, I, I brought Abby into work just because I had the pickup, but, you know, I was flying by people. Um bad visibility that was that was pretty bad so not getting out not going to be shed hunting this weekend i was kind of excited to go home and shed hunt the farms um this weekend but we'll probably just go for a nature walk instead you know get the snowshoes out just see if there's any new trails starting after the snow you know it will yard deer up so if anything hasn't dropped yet which is common i mean every year people are like oh now every year people are getting earlier and earlier shed hunting and you know now it's the cool thing to start in january but you know, there will still be whitetails holding antlers into March. Yeah. So see, it, I I was under the impression that all of them had dropped down here. And I, I got a couple trail camera pictures on my new property camera. And it was three bucks that had all clearly dropped recently. Like you could see mm-hmm. it. Um and then on the way out to the property today, I saw a small buck and he just had one side. It was just a fork side. And then, uh, I checked my camera. Uh, I, I was so busy this morning. I didn't look normally I wake up and I check all my notifications on my 
uh, Tacticam. And this morning I didn't get to do that. So once I got out there, I looked at him on my phone. First buck of the year. Well, first buck with antlers I've ever seen on that property. And so I sent that picture over to you. It looks like he could be it. I don't know if he got injured, if it was all fighting or what, but he's got a messed up left side. His right side, I think if they matched with his right, he'd probably be like 115-inch deer, maybe 120. Yeah, he looked like he was just a really solid two- or three-year-old buck with like good genetics and a weird side going on. Like he had tall, he yeah. had tall, his right side was pretty tall. Um, so yeah, he could definitely be a contender, you know, for the farm next year if he's, if he's here and to be three or four and that other side kind of just figures itself out. Hey, I should probably set up something, some criteria now, but I'm going to have a really hard time passing almost any decent buck even on my new property. Cause if I could shoot a deer on property that is in my name, that's like, that's like life goal right there for me. Okay. Well, I've shot lots of deer on property that's in my last name. No, dude, I'm <laughs> talking like you are the sole. Uh, well, I mean, Sam and I both own it. But like yeah. when I go on Onyx, that first time I go on Onyx and I see Dan and Sam Matthews, I'm going to be so pumped. And then to be able to shoot a deer, I'm not waiting for Onyx. It's already in my name, right? So if it's like season comes and yeah. Onyx hasn't updated yet, I'm still shooting a deer. Uh, but I think that would just be, that would feel really cool and really accomplishing. Yeah. Yeah, no, that would be cool. I, you know, I have a pretty strong drive to to only shoot like that, that really good three or four year old. I'm not crazy. Like I'm not five only or anything like that. And with a bow, like it's really hard to mess that up because they're so close. Yeah. And you usually see them coming from so far away that, you know, especially doing as much trail cameras as you and I do, like there's hardly ever a buck that I walks by me that I don't know already. You know, yearlings yeah. for sure because I don't pay attention to the yearlings. But, you know, two, three, four-year-old bucks, like I know which buck this is because I've been watching them for all summer or hopefully for multiple summers by now. Yeah. Does your property get a lot of new bucks on it? Um, like during the rut, do you have bucks that you haven't seen before or is it almost exclusively deer that you've tracked? So since 2014, we started running cameras and we've shot one buck, maybe two bucks since 2014 in the entire family that we didn't have trail camera pictures of ahead of time. And okay. one of them was I shot a 157-inch buck, but that was the year I had my North Dakota elk tag, and so my brother ran cameras. And so the camera success didn't really pencil out. He's like, I put a couple out, but I was busy, and you know, and our pictures were just down that year. So it wasn't really like we didn't get him on camera. We just didn't do cameras as good as we usually do because um, everyone was busy that summer. Okay. And so to answer the question, I don't think so because, you know, it's the proof's in the pudding and we're just not shooting many bucks we don't know about. Yeah. Dang. I I love having the bucks that I see all the time come through. Mm. But I also love the unknown of, like, I could just have anything. I had a 180-inch deer walk out into the field that I was hunting. It was 300 yards away from me, but I watched it come out into the field and I had never seen it, never had trail camera pictures of it, nothing. And I'm just like, this thing is a tank. Come to find out, the neighbor had pictures of it, like tons of pictures of it. Oh, really? But 
I had just never had it on my property before. And so it's like a giant mainframe 12 with trash everywhere. And oh, it made the, it made the buck that it was with look small. And that buck was big enough that I ended up shooting it. So <laughs> I was like, yeah. Yeah. That's a big buck. How many cameras are you running though? Cause we're running 18 to 24 cameras across 600 acres. So I think, and it's all flat egg land with a lake on like, they can't really get any farther South. Cause there's a big yeah. lake, like a, a really, really couple hundred thousand acre lake. Um, man, that sounds big. Maybe not quite that big. It's a big lake. And so I think deer just move a lot. And since we have, we're casting such a wide net, like there'll be bucks we shot that weren't on our farm this year, but we had pictures of them last year. We've seen them scouting yeah. like in the truck. Like we, so I guess he kind of moved into by one of our stands and, and my nephew shot him. But we, we still knew who he was. We knew where he was on the block and stuff like that. So I think that's probably more so. It's like we just have a really transient deer because we don't have any topography. The, the entire okay. county is about as flat as a two-by-four. So, Yeah. Yeah, we – I mean, we definitely get deer out there. I, I'm running six Tacticams right now, mm. and – I, I'm not going to say it's on 300 acres because really the pro, the portion that I'm mainly focused on is probably 60 to 80 acres. Um, it's, it's two bean fields that border a like 12 acre woodlot. They're on the South side and on the East side of them. And so I've got most of my cameras up on the edges of that woodlot. We call it the sanctuary. We leave it alone. We don't walk in it. We don't do anything in it. And the deer just love to go in there. And so I'm basically just trying to catch deer in transition mm. into that area. And don't get me wrong, there's there's deer all over this property. But for the most part, the rest of it is cattle pasture. And those cows, unless you get your camera up high enough, I've had one year I put out like five cameras on that on the cattle pasture area where they can get to it. And three of them were mm -hmm. broken within a week yikes yeah got, i was we, not thrilled we lost a camera once to a subsoiler <laughs> i bet that was fun pictures yeah well we didn't even get pictures of it It came in the in, in night and uh my uncle's uh hired hand was turning around and just whack it took it so it hit it so hard it was mounted to a railroad tie that someone used as a fence post so like yeah. a it, an oil soaked eight by eight with the metal strapping to keep them from splitting ripped it yep. in half. That's how hard he hit this oh thing with the gosh. corner of the disc. Yeah. Cause he was turning around. So you got to imagine like a 40 foot disc, the edge of it was flying. <laughs> like, yeah. Around. Yeah. He may have only been going 10 miles an hour, but that outside edge was probably cooking. Yeah. He hit that post going mock Jesus and it, <laughs> it broke. It was one of those old <laughs> primos D like it had four D cell batteries and my uncle's like, I'll I'll replace it if you want since Tom broke it. And my brother's like, don't worry about it, man. You let us hunt 500 acres of your land every year for the last two decades. It's fine. Yeah. So <laughs> so then I sent it off to warranty. Dang. I was like, hey, this camera doesn't work anymore. Here's the serial number. And they sent me a half-off <laughs> coupon to buy a new one. Dude, imagine that, like, if it was something Vortex. Because in their showroom and kind of all over the place, most shields have, like, a vortex yeah. 
showcase of all the warrantied items. Imagine just having like a big disc and then just a, a flattened trail camera in one of those showcases. And a railroad tie that looked like a grenade went off in it. Yeah. Yeah. That <laughs> that's cool, man. That I mean, it's not cool, but that's a that's a good story. Hey, that's probably the most creative uh camera destruction I've heard. Yeah. But I did see just today on TikTok there's a company out there that's making they're making camera trail camera posts for cattle ranch land. It's like a huge solid steel and it comes with a slider that like you like you know what a post hole pounder is, right? You come off the top and you're Oh like, yeah. Yeah, so it's basically like an integrated one. So yeah, it's the worst thing in the world. The tops, the top is mounted for your camera. So you slide your camera on and then you lock it in with like a little hitch pin key. But yep. the post has this like collar, the stainless or the steel collar, and you slide this collar up and just ram it down, and it posts. It just pounds it in. It's got this huge, like huge pointed base to it, and it's like heavy duty. So it says like ten pounds, so it's made for like cattle ranches, so cattle don't wreck your trail camera. Well, I looked in the comments, yeah. and the guy, I mean, to to install it, you had to like go like this, right? So one yeah. of the first comments was like, "I've been training for this my whole life." <laughs> <laughs> That is awesome. Yeah. Oh man, I found I found a couple of good solutions not only for not only for cows but also for like if you have an issue with people stealing your camera if you're putting up cameras on public land uh at both the Western Hunt Expo last year and the ATA this year there was a guy with a booth and imagine like a giant paint brush roller or like the extendable yeah. poles for rolling on paint. Yeah. Um, it's that, and then it attaches to your driver bit on like an impact drill. Oh yeah. And then on the end of it, yeah, you can actually like fix, uh, a mounting bracket onto it, screw it into the tree way high up. They make a laser attachment that clips onto that. So you can see exactly where it's pointed and then you hook your trail camera to it and it's a quick disconnect. Like you rotate the pole counterclockwise to connect it and you rotate it clockwise to disconnect it. And so all you have to do is basically carry around this pole on public land, and you can pull your camera down or put it up, and then uh, an impact definitely helps. But if not, you could even use a screwdriver with that with that adapter on Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've heard, some, I've heard some pretty wild stories from, again, guys in Utah running cameras on public land and all the things they got to do because there's bears – there's all kinds of people yeah. running around. There's giant bulls. Like people are like, they get pretty intense with their trail cameras. And so I, I one guy told me what he does, and he's like, "Please don't tell anybody," because I have 150 DS4K stealth cams out across the mountains, and like I don't oh. want to lose them. It took me a long time to keep them, and but the level of work that he was putting into each camera set, I'm like, "Holy Moses, man!" He's like, "Yeah, it's intense. Like you got to protect these things yep. out here." You'll pay just as much in security for your camera as you'll put into your camera. I mean, he, looking at the boxes said that. and mm -hmm. yeah, looking well, at his, the boxes, looking at the mounting brackets, the cables, everything. I'm like, dude, I could buy twice or three times as many cameras for that price. I would almost just risk it and go, okay, I lost one, but I can replace it multiple times before I pay the same amount for a steel box. Well, his involved a welder as well as part of the system. Oh my gosh, dude! Yeah, yeah, I'm but out. He's man. a full time. I'll get one of those I mean, This is his pools. livelihood. Yeah, yeah, for that, I mean, it's definitely worth it. <laughs> you got to walk you, around the mountains just... with a pole. Well, I mean, once it's up, it's up, you know. But like, 
I think about that. And then I think, okay, if you're running it out there, if you're only checking it once a year, you're probably mounting solar panel uh, charger with it. And so then it's like, do you do the same thing for the solar panel? Because obviously it's got to be open to the sun. How do you secure that without somebody stealing it? Um, I don't know, yeah. man. I, I fortunately have not lost a camera. I shouldn't have even said that out loud. Now it's probably going to happen. Um, but I lose them to those freaking cows. And to top it off, I got pictures, like a hundred pictures after it had knocked it off the tree. It then stood over the top of it. And it's like, it took its time to just stomp it to pieces. And I got so many pictures of this stupid cow tag number 147 in its ear. And I'm just like, dude, I'm going to shoot that freaking cow one day. I'm going to call him and just be like, Hey, listen, when you're butchering cattle, I want, let me know. I just want to be the end. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to do it slow. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That's funny. Well, dude, let's, uh, let's get Ethan on the show. I'm excited about this man. Cause being up in, in Montana and hunting some of the best elk country out there, I'm curious to see what he has to say, some tips and tricks for us. Yeah. It sounds like he's pretty much done it all. So I'm excited to, excited to hear his story. Yes, sir. Should be good. You're listening to The Western Rookie, a hunting podcast full of tips, tricks, and strategies from seasoned Western hunters. There are plenty of opportunities out there. We just need to learn how to take on the challenges. Hunting is completely different up there. I've harvested 26 big game animals. You can fool their eyes, but you can't fool their nose. 300 yards back to the road turned into three miles back the other way. It's always cool seeing new hunters go and harvest an animal. I don't know what to expect. If there's anybody I want in the woods with me, it'll be you. All right, guys, welcome to today's show. And joining Brian and I on the podcast today, we've got Ethan Pateman. Now, Ethan, dude, your your answers to the questions that are on the forum to hop on the podcast as i was reading i'm like is there anything that he doesn't do or hasn't done like college football grew up and hunted the bitterroot valley you know guided the bob marshall owns a hunting company has another hunting podcast i'm like dude this guy just needs to be like mine and brian's life coach i feel like well that's that's awfully flattering of you but no it's i i've I've been very fortunate in my life to have the opportunity I grew up very little known fact about me. I was actually born in California. Uh, my grandparents had a ranch in a little town called Copperopolis that kind of started my, you know, it, I think to this day we went, we actually went back for Christmas. I think there's 300 people in the town now. <laughs> Dang. Um, so, and then we moved to Wyoming in 94. So I was four years old when we moved out of California. Um, and, you know, my dad was, he was a rodeo cowboy, bird construction, hunted, fished. We did everything, um, processed our own meat, raised our own cattle, slaughtered, you know, slaughtered our own cattle, everything. We had horses for, for hunting adventures, things like so that. So what? Because they were all of our rodeo horses that we just, you know, took them in. You know. Um, so I've been very, very fortunate with the way I was brought up to be able to have those experiences. Um, you know, I, was, I was like, my bro- I have a brother that's two years older than me, and I was the little brother at hunting camp. Like, can I go? Can I? You know, one of my memory that sticks out with me when I was a kid, I was 10, and we had just went in and set up this awesome elk camp for 
opening weekend of rifle season with another couple buddies of our family because his their their sons were their middle son's one year younger than I am, but their older son was my brother's age and went in and had like a log couch and three you know tents and everything set up and I, I don't like broccoli, so I was trying to convince my mom that if I ate this entire like salad bowl of broccoli that she would let me go to health camp. <laughs> instead of school um that didn't work but that you know that was it's what where i grew up and how i was grew up doing things so you know to be able to now later in life while still working construction have these other opportunities have been fantastic granted when i was guiding that was you know when i was a younger man after college you know didn't necessarily have the responsibilities i have now but uh great experiences and just a great time yeah i feel like guiding is I talk to a lot of people um, and know quite a few that have guided for all sorts of different things. And it seems like that, that college right after college age is great for guiding. And then unless you own the guiding company, it becomes very difficult. I mean, the, the financial and the time commitments and just the amount of energy, like sleep deprivation, all of it. I, I don't envy the people who have the pressure of help, like being responsible in a sense for, getting on animals for others uh well getting on animals so and we so guiding in the bob um the company i work for is a chef guest ranch out of charlotte um chef outfitters they i think their their new name chef legacy because there's there's been a couple generations phased out since i i worked for them um great company still a fantastic company if anyone's looking for bob marshall hunts uh we had three camps 28 miles in um from the trailhead which was, I think, 20 miles inside wilderness boundary, you know, nine meal strings, horses, and the things that we would have to go through on a date. I mean, it was, the later hunts were easier. So in Montana, backcountry, um, rifle season starts September 15th for elk. So there's a ton of elk hunters, which is, I, we, we're me and some of my hunting buddies are trying to figure out a way to where we can get back in there without having to bring outfitters. Because you know, we killed um, in the one season there was three bulls taken that were all over three seventy. Jeez! Oh my gosh! That's big. We, so, are you going to let us know when you plan that trip? <laughs> sure. <laughs> let's, let's plan it right now. I'm I'm game. <laughs> You're gonna be uh, sore as we all get out, Dan. By the time you get 28 miles, we, we need meal. horses. We need horses. That's step one. Yeah, I, horses. <laughs> I can't help in that in that sense. No, we're. I'm trying to work. That's. I have a five to ten year plan with my wife that we're going to get livestock here once we get the house built. Um, I'm lucky to have some land outside of Missoula, so. Um, I still have all my saddles and my tack. I just don't have anything to put them on. Well, so, yeah, what? and you're going to need that. I mean, 28 miles in. I mean, that's what the Bob is known for. And, and right away when Dan told me, yeah, I used to guide in the, the Bob Marshall, I'm like, oh, my gosh. I want nothing to do with convincing clients it's a good idea to go in 28 miles to the Bob Marshall. <laughs> yeah, luckily, that was all the owners. That was all mixed job, and he did a great job of it. We got handed the uh, – um, you know, the clients on, everyone's like, oh yeah, you know, we meet them at the trailhead. They've never ridden a horse or, 
you know, and they're talking, they're all, you know, they're jazz. They're excited. A lot of them, a lot of Eastern East coasters would come out. Um, just, yeah, so excited to go hunt the Bob Marshall. This is going to be awesome. I can't wait till tomorrow. And I'm like, yeah, sure. Yeah. We'll, we'll do whatever you want tomorrow. A lot of times that turned into, Hey, there's this meadow that's like 300 yards from camp. We're just going to walk out there and sit there for the day. And, you know, maybe we'll, we'll see something because these guys, you know, Riding a horse, everyone's like, oh, that's easy. If you don't know how to ride a horse and then you get on one for 28 miles, you will be sore the next day. Yeah. Like there's some guys that take two to three days to recover fully. And then, then they get to ride back out, you know, seven day <laughs> hunt. You spend two days in camp, one day in, two days in camp, three days hunting, one day back out. And it, it could prove brutal for people. For sure. Well, that's what I was giving Dan a hard time about. I mean, I've ridden enough horses that I'm not an expert, and I, I feel like I get it, right? You have to move with the horse, but you, my legs, my knees, my hips still get sore after like a three-hour yeah. ride, not much less a 30-mile ride. Oh, yeah. I, I'm I'm slightly terrified of the next time I get – it's been – oh, shoot. It's probably been five years since I've been on horseback, so I, I'm pretty confident the first time I get back on one is going to be <laughs> – I'm going to be stove up for a couple of days. <laughs> yeah. See, I don't think, I, I mean, I'm not signing up for that trip just yet, but before I did that, I would go to one of these local farms and be like, Hey, give me some lessons. Let me ride. Cause I've, I think I've been on a horse aside from at a fair or like at a, yeah, at the fair probably mm -hmm. twice in my life. And my aunt and uncle had horses. And I remember as a kid, I got on one with her. And she just opened that thing up, man. We were running, and I was screaming. I was like, nope, this is not for me. But I was probably, I bet you I was under five years old. And yeah. uh, I think I probably got on one more, maybe around 10. And that's probably the last time I had been on a horse. Nice. Yeah, that's, I've, I've been very fortunate to live the life I have. And it, 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 but, you know, guiding has, the, the nice thing about that is, you, you know, you go for lack of a better term, and I, I don't mean to be offensive to anybody, but you're a professional babysitter. You know, we're, we're, we're elk hunting, or we're, we're, it's elk, deer, and bear all at the same time with rifles, you know, riding horses. It was, we would drive, ride people. We'd, you know, have the same couple ridges we'd go to because good glassing vantage points or spots that, well, you know, this weather pattern, most likely the elk are over here. Uh, but, you know, riding around the woods on horses with, some new friends for a week basically is what we did. So it was a f phenomenal job, but it, you know, looking back on it now from where I am, helped me really prep for hunter hunt being a mentor for hunters, for new hunters. Um, I don't know. Have you guys had the chance to take out young kids hunting yet? Oh yeah. yeah. That is some of the most challenging times I think I've ever had in the woods with young children. You know, well, not young, you know, younger, younger generation, but the patience yeah, needed for that is insane. Fortunately, I had quite a bit of experience out in Colorado, like at a, they called it a camp, but, uh, it was this week, like two nights a week, you'd come, you'd learn how to spin fish, fly fish, tie flies, archery, trap, rifle. Um, and so like teaching them in that setting was different, but then, yeah, as soon as you get them out in the field. It's like you you remember all the things that you should have taught the kids. Yeah. <laughs> like, like how to walk hey, quietly. 
walking walking quietly if i say like hey slowly turn to your left it means slowly turn to your left not what you know <laughs> you gotta you gotta yeah. take kids out for like rabbit and pretend they're deer first or squirrel or something before you get them out into a position like that 3d targets <laughs> there you go yeah no it's we had this last year as uh first year i was able to take we have Montana has a youth hunt um, the first two days before general rifle. Uh, all hunting shut down except for ages. Uh, with the apprenticeship program, it can go all the way down to 10 years old, uh, 10 to 16, and deer only. Buck, deer, you know, you can't shoot a doe, or no, you can't shoot does, um, depending on the unit, but um, deer only. So whitetail, mule deer doesn't matter, but kids, you know, I, the, the each one has to have an, have an adult with them. Adults can't be carrying rifles, you know, that whole, whole deal and took two brothers out, um, you know, probably that, you know, that two year age gap between the older and the, the younger one that was out with us and same deal. You know, we start hiking in the morning and they were really into it for about the first 20 minutes. And then we hadn't really seen anything yet in the, the talking and the joke, you know, and the jokes and the this and the that. And we actually, yeah. one of them, the oldest actually ended up walking into a herd of cow elk and blowing them out. Like he got within 25 yards of them. Jeez. Oh my gosh. And just like, you know, he looks back. I was with, we, the kid I was with, we, we split up. He went, um, the, the older boy went with my cousin on this side of the ridge. And I took the other side and off the shaded side of that ridge, there is this, group of about eight cows and, you know i hear them from the other side of the ridge just in an extent you know blow out everything's running down the ridge and the younger the older boy you know once we meet back up he goes what was that did you not see the eight giant animals that almost ran you over yeah. no okay but it was it was fun he actually ended up uh he shot a doe right at last light uh, three miles from the truck. So that was a fun, fun pack out for us. Um, cause he, uh, he tried, I mean, he, they gave it the, the old college try dragging this doe out about around, they, they made about 200 yards. They made about 200 yards. Yeah. That's a learning experience. I'm going to drag this doe three miles in Montana up and over all these ridges. <laughs> Luckily it was on a road. It wasn't the first year we had seen, but it was the first one that gave him a shot opportunity. Uh, it shot was per, I mean, 100, 100 yards, free hand, perfect shot, double lunger, right where it was supposed to be. She made it. Gosh, I don't think she made it more than 50 yards before she, she piled up. So he, I'm incredibly proud of the shot he took. Um, was It was awesome to be a part of that. But the drag out afterwards, because he, he was also one that was like, oh, yeah, I can pack out a deer, no problem. Mm-hmm. And he was saying that, you know, the whole time. Like, okay, all right, bye, we'll see you at the truck. But we, we actually, we, we were being a little bit of a pain in the butt for him because we, we just started walking. We left him with the, you know, we tied a rope around her, her head and her front feet, and we just took off. Like, okay, see ya. And we got out of his sight when just, you know, let's hang out here on the side of the road and see how long it takes them to just catch up to us. And <laughs> about 30 seconds later, we hear, you know, feet running on the gravel road. 
hey, can, can you guys help us? <laughs> yep, here you go. So it's fun. Um, you know, that, that mentorship role is something that I somehow walked into with not even just kids. I mean, I have a couple of buddies too that are those, you know, uh, one, one friend of mine is two years older than I am. So he's 33, um, just getting into hunting last year, you know, trying to help people get into it that want to try to find, find their way to do it. You know, what so, kind of hunt do you bring? Like what would, like if, if you had a buddy that reached out to you at work or something and said, Hey, you're a hunter, Ethan. Uh, you know, I'm, I think I want to try it. Like I've, I've been watching you for a couple of years and my other buddies, what kind of hunt would you send them on for like a first Western hunt? I'm assuming it's not into the middle of the Bob Marshall. No, no. <laughs> um, a lot of it's going to come down to, you know, first question asked would be what weapon do you want to use? Yeah. You know, do you want to use archery or do you want to use a rifle? I, I try to push, you know, first year new hunters into let's do it with a rifle first. Let's, you know, let's, mm-hmm. let's first and foremost, make sure you know, what you're signing up for because as much as i love archery like i we have a whole if you guys look at all at our instagram page um that's almost all we do is archery hunt i mean in montana i can start archery hunting august 15th for antelope and january 15th is when my last whitetail doe tag expires so it's i have six months to hunt with my bow and all over the counter tags except for the antelope that's a that's a draw, but, um, so it's, you know, four to five months solid where I can go out and kill things with my bow. Um, but rifle would be the one I would push them for first. And I'm not much on targeting species. So I'm a, except, okay. With the rifle, I don't target species as much with the bow, very much focused on elk because it's, you know, we get to go bow hunting during the rut and there's, in my opinion, nothing more fun than, bugling and chasing elk during the rut is just so much fun um when it comes to rifle i'm very much whatever's the first legal opportunity i can take Mm. is what i'm going to take so if you're out you know and granted it all comes down what what is that person's goal is it you know first time out i want to go out and i want to shoot a four-pointer better you know mature buck or i want to go shoot a mature bull Okay, great. That's you set that standard. So let's, you know, what kind of shape are you in? Are you, you know, can you climb mule deer country? Because I know, you know, there's spots around that, yeah, there's good deer up here, but it's fifteen hundred vertical and three quarters of a mile. Can you make that climb? And can you make it back down from that climb? Yeah. Um. So it, I w- I would probably say deer would be the most, but being as we live in Montana. I had this last season, you know, just to ex- kind of explain better where I hunt, my nephew shot his first elk on the same ridge that I've shot my biggest whitetail buck. Dang. So we, where, where I, I try to hunt in areas that have equal opportunity for everything. Um, you know, it, he shot this really nice four-year-old cow. I, two years ago on that same ridge, I shot 140-inch whitetail. So Jeez. it's, I need to come hunt there. Hey. That sounds awesome, man. I've seen, draw the, I mean, I've draw seen the tag. whitetail in elk country, but yeah, to have, to have it that common, uh, that sounds pretty sweet. 
Yeah, Dan's not even talking about Montana. He's just saying that one ridge is where he wants to go. Sit. Yeah, no, 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 no. <laughs> Send me a pin drop. I don't need to know anything else. Just the pin drop. You don't. You don't want to know where my pin drops go, <laughs> because that's that's my. This is my. This is a spot that we've hunted for a long time, and um, part of it was we're going to have to find a new spot moving forward because it, it's still good for bucks and you know late season cow hunts for the youth because youth ages two or 12 to 16 can shoot cows on their general tag here in some districts. Um, so it was an easy spot and I had drawn a, a rifle doe tag for that spot too. Um, but up to last year, my archery doe tags were good in this district. So we would, and it's a river bottom. It's a high, it's like a high mountain river bottom corridor that has phenomenal whitetail habitat in it i've seen mule deer in it and i've obviously also seen elk you know yeah um so just a, a great corridor to have um but it's it's the spot that you know okay if i if i'm taking a new hunter out or a young this is where we took the the kids out because it, it's just got a good deer population you know and especially with the older boy being able to shoot elk is like well if we run into an elk there's a good chance she's going to be within a half mile of the road. Just, you know, the way the road systems works in there from the logging. My, we actually got my nephew's cow out whole. We oh, sledded nice. her straight out, got to the end of the, this little saddle and straight down to the road into the back of the truck. I've always so. been out West and you'll see a flatbed truck with a full elk on it. And I'm like, where are these people shooting these elk where they get the whole thing out on a truck? I've never once shot an elk or had an elk that was even close to being able to, to shoot and get it out whole. I we did it for the first time this year. We, we, except it didn't go into a truck. It went onto the back of a four-wheeler. So we all lifted this elk onto a four-wheeler. And the suspension on that thing, I mean, the arms on the back of it are supposed to be like yeah. You know, 45 <laughs> degrees up and they're about like 20 degrees negative. Was it and how big of an elk was it? It was I think it was a four by five. Oh, so uh, it's like a two-year-old, three-year-old bull. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. And we got it, we yeah. we got it on the back of a four hundred uh you I think it was like a Yamaha four hundred four wheeler. Yeah. You can see that at all. Um it's on my I'm trying to show you guys the photo here, but it's let I me mean, maybe if I don't blur it. Um, so a couple years back, oh yeah, jeez, we had four. four elk on the back of that truck. That's a half oh, ton. So there's gosh. um the the block management program out here is pretty awesome. Yeah. Uh, and this is an area. It ironically it was right behind my house where I grew up. Um, I actually had remodeled the ranch owner's house at one point with my dad. So you know I've known the family for forever and. We, we parked at the sign-in box and went in opening day rifle, and there was four bulls taken out of this group. Me and my buddy both shot one, and then the ranch manager, who I happened to know, shot two out of it as well. He's like, hey, Ivan, you mind? Because, you know, my truck's like a mile and a half that way. Backed up to it with the hay, you know, it's a half-ton hay bale feeder. Hooked up the chains to the head and the feet, lifted them all up onto the back of the truck, Drove him to the parking spot because it, it, we were on his, their property, you know, so them being the, the property owners, they were allowed to drive wherever they wanted. Um, us being, you know, public use of private land, we had to park in the, in the designated areas to gain access. So 
that worked out really well. But then, you know, switch over to my cousin's bull he shot this year. That was a three mile pack out and I had 170 pounds on my back. Jeez. No, it sounds like he needs to start a mountain Uber service and just drive around for everybody with that, with that hay truck. It would have been nice. Um, <laughs> there's been, you know, I've, I've, I've been pretty fortunate in my elk. I've, I've, my first bull I shot had a little bit of a fiasco, bad soil conditions for horses type of deal. Um, it took nine hours to get that, that bull back to the truck. Wow. Had to bone it out and a bunch of other stuff. Um, my second bull I shot, ironically, most of my hard kills have been with my rifle. Uh, second bull I shot, we had to come back the next day to finish the pack out because he was about 4,000 vertical above the road and it snowed 12 inches overnight. Um, Yikes. <laughs> last bull was the one I just showed you guys yeah. with rifle. And then the my first bull I shot with my bow, uh, he, I shot him. We were on the way back to the truck after hunting the backside of this private property. And we had just finished this steep climb. He's on the side hill raking a tree. I shot him. I guessed, you know, I didn't have time to range him. So I guessed range at 40. So I put my 40 pin mid body, touched the shot off and like, looks great. Right at the last second it drops. And I'm just like, shoot, you know, I, I shot low. He whirls and he runs uphill and stops at like 90 or something. And my cousin's behind is like, give me a range. I think I hit him in the leg. I need to get another arrow off. And he keeps running uphill. He, he eventually dies 50 yards from the access road, which is only a half mile from the truck. So I, he was at four, turns out he was at 45 yards and that, that shot went perfect and just pinwheeled his heart. Um, but he ran uphill. So he, he died in the only flat spot because if he would have ran downhill, it was 600 vertical in less than half a mile that we would have had to have gone down to bring him back up. Um, relatively easy pack out there. And then the bull I shot this year was a mile, I think it was a 1.1 mile one way, but only about 400 yards, 500 yards of that was off of a yeah bushwhacking in a trail instead of on an access road. So I've been fortunate in most of my pack outs and, uh, it's been fun. My brother shot a bull once in Montana. Um, I guess it was kind of far from you now thinking about where Missoula is, but he shot it on the backside of the mountain and the bull ran around 180 degrees around the mountain and all the way down straight to the four wheeler literally cut a mile and a half off of our pack out and then we got him in the bottom of this like open valley meadow where we could literally see the four wheelers from where we where we were quartering him that's fantastic (laughs) he claims like i tried to do that i'm like your elk ran a mile and a half buddy before it expired i don't think that's what we're trying to do but Luckily, we yeah. did. We did get it, and everything turned out good. So, oh yeah, it, that that old saying: "I'd rather be lucky than good any day." Yeah, that's the yeah. that's the story of my brother's elk hunting career. <laughs> yeah, that's juxtaposed to that. My so my brother, uh, my older brother is finally he he spent a lot of time in the Bering Sea working up there, so he was gone a lot. Um, he finally got back into bow hunting here last year. Two years ago, he bought a bow. Um, this last season, he actually 
you know, got kind of got bitten by that elk bug after he saw. But our elk season this year was phenomenal. I had, or at least mine and my cousin, well, all around it was a, a great season. Um, I shot my bull four hours into my season. Um, I, I couldn't make it out opening weekend. We had a wedding we had to attend, which was, you know, it was 90 degrees here, 95 degrees uh, opening weekend of September, which is opening a, a bow of big game archery here in Montana. Um, and my wife's best friend was getting married at Flathead Lake. So spent the whole weekend, you know, didn't spend opening weekend in the woods sweating. I spent it at the lake with a beer in my hand in the water. So I'm not going to complain about that at all. Um, next weekend we went into this spot that it, we chased some really big elk in here. Um, it's also got a really high grizzly population. Um, I wasn't able to, I didn't go in that spot at all the year before. Just timing didn't work out for me. And we were hunting some other areas. Um, but this year is like, I want to go back in there. I think it's going to be, you know, we had a great water year. So it was like, I know those, those big bulls are going to be bigger. So let's go. And there's this one ridge that there's, if you ask the two get hunt with my, my cousin, Jared, and then my hunting or my business partner and good friend, Jed, um, they will tell this story completely different than I do from when the first time we saw this big bull crest this ridge, uh, Jared, we went to this spot, Jared shot his cow the night before we got her out whole the next morning we got woken up at 2 AM with two bulls, just losing their mind 400 yards behind camp. Dang, and we had, dream. we had set, we had set alarms for 5 AM to go. Like I wanted to go all the, like a, a six mile hike in, in the dark. And so we sat there, you know, finally the alarms go off at five and it's legal light at seven. And these elk are still just losing their minds. So we sat there fully dressed, ready to go for two and a half, you know, almost two hours before we were like, okay, let's slowly work in here. And we chased these bulls back into the ridge and sat down finally, like had one come in, he hung up at 110 gorgeous dark antlered ivory tipped just you know he's probably a 320 330 class bull just a he and he was this he was this satellite bull that we had seen in the meadow we had seen the satellite bull and i had sent those two out to this patch of grass but we didn't know that the herd bull with the cows were to our left so cows caught movement got sketchy they boogie still that you know the bull was still bugling because that other bull hadn't seen us and he was still challenging. So then I, I started challenging both of them and we just played this kind of triangle scream match all the way up the base of this mountain. And once we got closer, we actually got two more bulls involved and it, you know, we got to a point after that one bull hung up, he kind of clammed up because he, he'd saw something, you know, he, he saw us type of deal. We were, just set up the wrong side of this little opening basically mm-hmm. um he clams up and we get to this point and it's like okay do we go after that bull do we go after that bull or do we go after that bull and we're like okay well you know pulled up onyx and 
well, there, let's take this road over this way. There's a ridge that's kind of right in the middle of all of them. Let's just go sit there. It's nine o'clock. Let's go have a snack. You know, I'm hungry. I'm exhausted. I, I do most of the calling when we go out. So we sit down and I don't even think I was halfway through my Snickers. And my cousin goes, there's, there's elk on that ridge. And they're 900 yards off. And here comes some cows over the ridge. And it was that, from what we can guess, it was that original group that we had seen in the meadow earlier. And we could hear a bull bugling with them. And he was bugling down at this other bull that was about 400 yards away from us where we were sitting. And you could count times when he crested the ridge with your bare eye. Jeez. Wow. He's a big, big seven by eight. Um, just an absolute unit. And I'm, you know, I'm sitting there, they're, they're bugling, but you know, and I looking back, I'm like, no, I should not have done what I did because they're, they're bugling on their own. The cows are working down towards us into the saddle to like, okay, they're going to come down here and bed. I should have just, we should just stayed sat still and just shut up. I was like, no, I got to challenge him. I got to bring him down that hill to fight. Like, let's, let's do this. This is perfect. We're going to get Jed his first elk ever. And it's going to be that bull, you know? And so I, I challenge Bugle and he stops and stares straight down at us. And he runs probably 30, 40 yards downhill. It's like, okay, he, he, he's into this. The lead cow turned and chirped and you, you just saw her just turn her head chirp at all the other cows and they just start side hilling. They just start. She's like, Nope, I am done with this nonsense. I'm going to bed. Um, I stopped that bull three more times and turned him, but he would not leave the cows. How far away was all of this happening by now? Like how far away are they from you guys? But at the point, <laughs> he's they're still six, 700 yards yeah. up the ridge. So we're, you know, we're down here, the ridge that they're on's up, up here. And they're, you know, two, 300 yards under the crest of it. I think where they first popped out from where we were sitting, we went back and ranged and it was a, it was 850. Mm. So, you know, as we, we started moving closer. Like I just took off running. Um, I hadn't quite been to this spot, so I didn't know what was ahead of us. But I was like, if I can get like, okay, I know I'm on his bubble. If I can get within, if I can cut two, 300 yards off this, He's going to come down the hill. Like I got to get into that zone. So I take off running and we get to a deadfall patch. Um, I didn't have my pack on anymore. I had left my bow with my pack. I just had my bugle and grunt tube and just turned to Jed like, Hey, let's go. And I just take off and we get to a, to deadfall and I just start log to log, like just going. And I'm, you know, I'm taller than Jed is. Jed's, um, the running joke is he's Gimli. I'm legless. He's, you know, built for sprinting over short distances. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I look back and I'm, you know, I'm in the solid, solidly in the middle of this deadfall. And they're still on the edge looking at me three, 300 yards away. Like, dude, we can't keep up with the elk that are running on top of the ridge. <laughs> and I, I had to, you know, admit defeat and turn around like, yep, that was stupid. Um, but, you know, just a phenomenal, phenomenal little spot we had to go. So I, we went in there this year and shot, ended up shooting my bull, um, you know, got there the night before Friday. And it, it's weird because every, most opening weekends, there's a, or second weekend of season, you know, this was September 9th or 10th, I think. So, you know, 
we're still, we're in the middle of full moon. So there should have been elk there. You know, we camped out that night, same spot, waiting to hear the bugling from behind camp. And we, we heard one bugle. Uh, I was like, okay, well, there's, there's elk here still, but why is there only one? You know, it's full moon. They should just be losing their minds right now. Um, we loop back, didn't hear hardly anything until we get back to the spot that I call the bedroom. It's just this maybe 50 by 60 little flat spot that's kind of tucked up against the bottom and protected by thicket and deadfall. And it's just, it's like a, a lawn, just mowed grass, nice and small, good tall, you know, good tall pine trees. Great little hangout spot for bulls. And, you know, there's rakes in there and things. Um, and we, we pushed back towards this spot and I, I cow call. And, and I wasn't bugling much because we hadn't heard anything really. And this bull, like, just it just makes a weird noise, right? It was a, not a grunt, not a, a glonk, just a, a an elk noise. I was like, okay, well, there's an elk here. Great. We, we get set up. Jared goes over to the right down the road so he can, in case he loops to come that way. Because we, you know, I'd, every time I've tried to get back into the bedroom, it just, there's one, one thing in front of us that just, you know, can't go that way, can't go this way, can't go that way. I had no idea how the elk get in and out of it. Um, little raghorn comes in. He, he's a four by five, but you know, he had an inch and a half of back fat on him. So I will take that every day of the week. Uh, ended up shot him. He came in and was, looked like he was going to go to Jared comes back and gets like, he was kind of trying to figure out where we were. So I cow called back behind me. It's like, okay, he, he gets all like stiff legged and starts acting like he's, you know, Mr. Johnny big. And I'm going, dude, you, I had to pull my binoculars up at a hundred yards to make sure he wasn't a spike. <laughs> like you're, you're not a big bull. <laughs> I don't know why you're posturing like you are. That just means there's, there's not the, you know, you're the only elk here if that's the way you're acting type of deal. Yeah. And he, he starts raking this tree 60, 70 yards out and I, I got a little closer, but couldn't get too much. And finally I cow called again. He comes in, he gets to 40, broadside 40 yards. There's a a tree. He stepped just far enough to where I had about a foot between the back of his front leg and this tree that was about 20 yards in front of me. So I I leaned out just to give myself a little clearance, touch the shot off, you know, hit here a crack. And he whirls and stops at this other tree I had ranged at 50 yards. It's like, okay. And he's, you know, he's doing the stumble, you know, back ends going, says, perfect heart shot. He's going to fall over right there. This is fantastic. Easy pack out. Great. He doesn't fall over. He just stands there. And, you know, in my, you know, this feels like it's taking longer than it did, but it was probably 30 seconds between shots. So second shot, hard quartering, I'd come back to draw, put it back behind his back, his, you know, just in, just in front of his back hind quarter. We found the broadhead up in his front shoulder on the opposite side. Um, I hit a tree branch on the first shot. Oh, no. And when I, when we were, you know, quartering him up, I cut his artery and I center punched his back knee joint. 
I'm shooting the three blade QAD Exodus, uh, victory one, uh, 250 rip TKOs going 303, 475 grain arrow. So complete, you know, that arrow was a complete pass through, but when I cut his, the rest of his hide off, his leg just fell off. So he was going to, you know, he was going to perish there. If I would have just let him stand there for another couple minutes, he would have gone down. But that second arrow, um, helped him on his way. He made it 20 yards and fell over after I shot him the second time. Um, but just, you know, that, that shot placement, that second knowing, you know, being able to get that second shot on that bowl was phenomenal. You know, that, that helped us out a ton. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. You never, I mean, they're tough. Yeah. The elk's still on your feet and you can still shoot. Like you have to shoot bow or rifle. I mean, if you've got an arrow in him or a bullet in him and he's not on the ground, like I don't feel good just being like, ah, he'll die. I'll let him, I'll just let him be. No, Midwest guys and Eastern guys. I mean, anybody who's listening to this and planning on going out there, most of the time you get one shot at a deer, right? If you're, if you're hunting out of a tree stand, you get one shot at a deer. Typically they don't stick around for a second shot, but that was one thing that I had to get used to. They were, they were telling me a story at my first elk camp and they're like, Oh yeah, dude, so-and-so shot an elk like six times last year. And I'm like, dude, what are you shooting, man? Like, are you, are you shooting like a 22, 250 out here? Why are you shooting it six times? And then they explained to me, they're like, dude, you'll watch that impact on the elk. You'll hear the thud in the chest cavity and they'll just stay on their feet. They just, the will to live is insane. Like nothing we've ever seen. And I'm just like, yeah, okay. That's just called bad shot placement. Well, over the years now, I've seen so many videos of guys that are shooting like big boy guns, you know, they're not 300 rums, 300 wind mags, uh, 28 nozzlers. And they're putting great shots on elk and that elk will just stand there and eat it. And they put another one and another one and another one. It's like, if it's standing there, just keep, dumping lead its way i mean obviously you're not being reckless just shooting at elk running across the hillside but if it's if you got a if you've got a shot at it especially a follow-up shot keep going yeah and that's we go ahead i was gonna say the bull that's in that picture on the floor behind me that was my north dakota bull and i shot him with what like a gun like dan was talking about 300 short mag 200 grain lead um you know just a huge bullet and i shot him broadside knocked him down and he rolled down a 30 40 yard hill like a pretty steep hill rolled to the bottom of it and crashed in these like little cedar trees at the bottom and i'm thinking awesome once in a lifetime tag one shot he's down and i see him stand back up and i'm like he gets up and runs (laughs) what no he gets up and walks straight towards me and so i'm like Okay, I guess. Reload, shoot. This time I see him like visibly like do the buckle. And I'm like, all right, solid shot. Hit him again. Keeps walking right towards me. Shoot again. I see the shoulder impact. This time after the third shot, he turns and just stands sideways, broadside. And I'm like, this is what is this elk? (laughs) And so at this point, I'm out of rounds in my clip. So I take one out of my, my stock sleeve put it in and I shoot and this time he just crashes and then it hits me like oh he walked 75 yards closer to me my bullet hit six inches higher and I hit him in the spine this time 
and like <laughs> but just like he just for him to crash down a hill into a bunch of trees and then just stand up and walk like not run yeah. not take off just like oh sorry i i slipped there for a second i stumbled but i'm good now well, yeah oh i see yeah, something see a lot of something guys graze me yeah i see a lot of guys doing the high shoulder shot or neck shots on western game now i've never done it and i can't i don't think i could even train my mind to do that because even for coyotes like i have no problem shooting a coyote through the shoulder but in in my mind i've just practiced so many times behind the shoulder behind the shoulder behind the shoulder it it's not even a thought in my thought process while i'm squeezing the trigger off like hey maybe i could do a high shoulder shot or a neck shot um, and yeah, I feel I, like it's a neat shot if you want it to drop real fast, if you make the shot accurately, but there's nothing better than a target that's, you know, two feet by a foot because yeah. you, that's going to be you want to pop a giant water balloon or do you want to hit a golf ball? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that's, I, you know, back to when my guiding days, there was people that came out. Oh yeah. That, Cause high shoulders taught quite a lot in African hunting they want that animal to drop instantly a lot of those hunts though they're not shooting three four hundred yards they're shooting out of a blind you know 200 yards max type of deal they're also shooting 460 nitros and putting like a 400 <laughs> grain ball into that front shoulder yeah. that turns into a grenade so they did pop the balloon as <laughs> yeah. well <laughs> yeah you got all that force there and i mean i've i've cleaned elk that have perfectly mushroom bullets on the ins on that shoulder impact because people went for the high shoulder and it didn't break. Like that bone can be so, and it, it changes from animal to animal, right? No one, you know, that's probably one of the largest arguments in archery right now is heavy grain arrow, you know, Ashby versus normal, you know, let's, let's say a, a reasonably heavy arrow. It's, you know, it's always weight versus speed with, with archery, right? Oh, for sure. I, I think a reasonably heavy arrow, you know, I shoot, I have a 31 inch draw. I'm shooting a Matthews VXR. That arrow is going 303 feet per second at 470. I have plenty of speed to kill everything from a moose down to an antelope. You know, I'm fast enough to, to beat a speed goat and I'm heavy enough to kill a moose. I'm not going to shoot. I don't, I don't need to shoot the 700 grain arrow. You know, that, that balance in our training ways between the perfect setup and going to do the same thing is so slim that yeah i'll take the extra 30 feet a second that i get yeah. from the lighter arrow just because you you miss that dodge but when we were guiding we had to we had one guy come in and we ended up shooting this bull five hunts later i think got back up to him in the snow with another hunter he shot him twice in the neck and each time that bull dropped, you with know, because it's with a bow. No, oh, rifle. rifle, rifle. Okay, and this was in the bob. Um, drop, you know, each time because that impacts the neck and it shocks their spinal system. So you can just hit nothing but muscle or just that little bone fragment, you know, because the neck bone on elk have those big fins on the back of the the vertebrae. Yeah. So you can hit that and that'll be enough vibration to shock their spinal system and drop them. But it didn't do anything. It just, it, it shocked them enough to drop them for a second. They get back up and run. You know, this yeah. guy took two, cause like, Oh, I'll, you know, 
all the old boys down at the, the, the bar before we came in told me to shoot them right in the neck. Ugh. You know, it's like, yeah, that, that's a, if that's the only shot you have as a follow-up shot, yes, do it. You know, it, it's going to drop them. And if you have long, you know, if you have one in the Boilermaker already, you, you knock them down, odds are they're not going to get back up again. You know, yeah. that's that as a follow-up shot. Absolutely. Get, get whatever you can in them. But I, I think neck shots, it, you know, there's a lot, of, they work great for a lot of people. You know, I'm not going to poo poo on them or say that you've wounded a lot of animals in your time. It's just, it's not a shot that I'm going to take. It's my first opportunity. Oh, yeah. um, nor, you know, to Dan's point, try to train myself to, to take that shot on a first opportunity. Cause it's just not, it, I, I need the room for error, right? You know, I'm not, I'm not perfect. I'm not a yeah. Well, and it's I, even hard on an elk, especially a rutting bull. To you look at that neck and you're like, oh, I'll just put it in the middle. Well, that's not where the bone is. Like, you, it's very, very hard. There's no structural landmarks for you to aim at when you're aiming at a neck because there's the, yep. and when I took like both of these bulls down, broke them down. Like the size of the neck roasts off these animals are huge. Like literally 25 pound neck roast off each side of my North Dakota bull. So think about like that much meat is dead man's land. You know, the famous, yeah. like, well, no yeah. man's land above the lung? Well, there's a huge yeah. no man's land above the neck and the spine in a bull. Like, it's very hard to, f- even even if you can train yourself to go for a neck shot, it's hard to know where to put the crosshair. Yeah, I mean, and it changes each animal, right? Like, yeah. is that bull a clean bull? Did he rut up a bunch? Has he been wallowing? How much hair does he have left? You know, that, that all just turns into just a bigger and bigger target that you're aiming for something the size of a beer can on its side. Like, man, at, at 400 yards, I'd, I'd like to say I could probably hit that beer can, but if you're telling me I can get the same result by shooting a two-foot-by-two-foot two square at 400, I'm going to take the two-foot-by-two-foot two square every day, you know? Yeah. Plus, oh, yeah, especially hunting. when or go ahead, yeah, you, you're elk hunting, you're exhausted, you're probably shooting at an insane angle that you haven't practiced at like (laughs) your adrenaline is just pumping like crazy yeah i think going two foot two foot by two foot target over you know six inch by eight inch target is a much better option i was gonna add on top of that i'm training myself don't be looking at the antlers like focus on the heart (laughs) i don't want any more of the head in the in the scope as as i can get and with the Colorado bull, I shot that bull, like like Dan said, horrible shooting position. I'm laying on my back on one ridge, shooting uphill steep to the other ridge. Like nobody practices shooting from their back. And so I'm putting the bipod literally on the ground between my legs, shooting uphill. And I shoot this bull, and he doesn't move. And all the other elk are going crazy, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, what happened? You know, like, that's the last thing you want is every other elk to be running but the one you shot. Like, I'm like, did I miss? There's no way I could have missed. Well, a calf runs right in front of him and puts her head right over his heart. Like, 20 yards in front of him, heads right in front of this my bull's heart. So there I am freaking out. What happened? I'm watching this bull for, like, 30, 45 seconds not move. And there's nothing I can do about it because I'm not going to shoot again. I'm going to hit this calf right yeah. in the head. And so that bull just stood there. Finally, the calf moves just enough. I shoot again. Bull doesn't move. Shoot a third time. Bull is not moving. I'm like, okay, I, I have to have had a bullet in this elk. So I, I feel like I have to keep shooting. Pull the fourth one out. Shoot. All of a sudden, I just see this bull start going like this. 
and just tips Shit. over. Just stood there, yeah. did not even lift a foot for four straight rounds into him. Are you shooting solid copper? No, that was a lead core. I'm switching okay. to solid copper, though. I'm so switching I, to I, a really I, fast solid copper. I've I've been shooting the Barnes triple shocks. TSXs? Um, yeah, the TSXs, the solid coppers. Yeah. I shoot 308, 168 grain. Yeah. Um, but not, you know, kills a ton of things. Um, but I've found that I've had to have more second shots because of, you know, what you just described. Uh, the bull that you guys saw in that, that truck photo, I shot him twice at 200 yards right in the boiler room. My bullets were two inches apart, and he stood there for three minutes. Well, that is – it's kind of explainable it, because that's the dynamics of a solid copper bullet, right? It doesn't yeah, frame they're not ex- so you're they're not, not expanding and transferring the energy well, to get that knockdown expand. power that lead has. Well, not just, as well. They don't fragment. And when you fragment a bullet, you're putting 20% of your energy into, into the elk because it's fragmenting, and all those fragments are staying in. So you can – like there used to be people that were shooting, like, extreme deep um, hollow points that were intended to fragment, not mushroom – and so, yeah, when you shoot them with those, you get a hundred percent energy transfer and no exit. So those yeah. animals usually don't take a step, but you're pumping lead through like a majority of the animal you're about to eat as well. Yeah, yeah, that was we shot 168 grain boat tail match grade hollow points, hand loaded, um, out of the Hornady book for a long time, and yeah, we never had an animal take more than a step. Right. But you know, after you know the the lead surveys and things they release like okay well yeah that makes sense tend to switch to solid copper and it's it's going to be a thing where people have to realize when you shoot big game with a solid copper bullet keep your eye on them and yeah your shot was good you can get another one on the great but it's going to take you a minute to bleed out like yeah, it's it's it not the instantaneous kill that we're all used to it's they're dead they just don't know it yet it i've seen there's i feel like there's a little bit of a curve because i have seen with the really fast solid coppers, like if you're talking um, 135 grain solid six copper out of like a 6.5 and just a screaming bullet, that velocity, especially on like deer, that velocity causes that same shockwave mm-hmm. we were talking about with the neck and makes them drop because of the speed. And then by the time, you know, by the time they kind of get their, their feeling back, they're, you know, once their feet quit being asleep. They've suffocated. They've yeah. already, yep, they've already, yeah. they've already had hemorrhage to the point where they can't get up again. So I think there is a, a kind of a, a sweet spot for like deer and antelope because antelope are famous for it, right? You hit those things and they collapse. Um, I just think elk are banned. Those, yeah. those things are just like, they're just mountain oxes. Like they just don't go down. I, we, I saw one one year actually through, I, I wish we would have had this on camera. Um, this bull, we were hunting um, a property boundary, and this bull had seen other hunters on the ridge, and there was, you know, this herd of 70, 80 elk with 17 legal bulls in it, and this one just absolute unit, you know, the big herd bull. He scooped a, six, a small six-point raghorn up by his ass in his head and threw him over the fence just picked up this 800 pound animal and tossed him and he had been, you know, hounding this bull the entire time. And that bull, the younger bull had kept trying to keep cows and things, you know, 
he he just got on the wrong side of, of Jumbo's attitude that day. And that, that younger bull ended up getting shot in the middle of the road. My dad dropped him, right? You know, road was legal. Boom, we had to move the elk out of the road to get the truck by it, to get the truck elk into the back of the truck. But you know, just watch an animal pick something up and throw it 20 feet that's the same size of it. It's there, There's so much power and muscle in that neck. And yep. the rest of their body that no, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna fight the ribs and that's it, you know. Stay away from that shoulder, um, stay away from the neck, obviously. But they're no, insanely that, tough. That chest cavity, man. I mean, you just can't go wrong. There's so many things, and I think we were talking about it the other day, Brian, about that frontal shot, uh, uh, and and just how many things there are to ki- like that will kill it on the frontal shot multiple things like you could hit five different things that will kill the animal on a front on shot but everybody loves that broadside shot and this year i mean that was my bull i shot my bull uh it was at 637 pull the trigger get back on it and i just see it standing there hunched over and i'm like oh dude i smoked him and he just kept standing there and the bull in front of him just kept standing there and i was like well here we go again, and luckily on my second shot, I dumped him. But I'm like, I I get it. Like the the idea of it even moving at all after the first shot, the nerves start to kick in, and you're just like, oh crap, did I mess up? What's wrong? Why didn't he go down? But mm-hmm. when you're shooting chest, you're not going to get that most of the time. You know, you're not going to get it just dumping because you're not doing anything to spinal cord. You're well, not. You know, severing that connection. Yeah. They just act completely different because we're all used to like white tails, and you shoot a white tail, and it just does that huge mule kick, and you're like, "Yeah, I smoked him, right?" Like, yeah, that yeah. thing kicked and turned. Well, elk, they just like they just take it. They're like, "Toom." They just eat lead. They're yeah. just like, "Yep." Oh, they don't okay. react. They don't duck. They don't mule kick for the most. I mean, I'm I'm sure someone's gonna write in and be like, "Hey, I had a elk that mule kicked and ducked my arrow." Um, okay. Well, most of them don't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But also no, so ducking it's... your arrow as an elk, I mean, you've got to duck three times as far to get outside of the vital zone. The kill Whereas, zone. Yeah. yeah. Whitetail, they, you know, it's an 18-inch target elk. The whole body cavity is three feet wide on them. Yeah. But, no, it's, you know, it, you know then, so back to the, before our long, you know, divergence from that, my... <laughs> The next weekend we go out to shoot my kid. We go up different spots. So we, we pack my bull out. There's fresh grizzly bear and fresh wolf shit in the middle of the road. And we're like, okay, yeah, we're not going to sleep. You know, the meat poles behind camp. We had to bring the truck to the road to get the elk back. It's like too much blood. We're just going to break camp down, go home. Not enough elk here to risk getting eaten. Uh, next weekend we go to a new spot, a spot that I'd hunted and hunted the specific spot before but had hunted this mountain range and knew there was some elk there um next that next weekend and that saturday we go in and i call this nice six point into my cousin uh he ends up shooting him at 19 yards comes down off the ridge out of this bowl we're on a road you know gated road cut so we're down here and it's you know he's on the upper side it's probably a 19 20 foot elevation difference between our feet so, you know, uphill, bull comes in, comes down. I had, I didn't have my bow because I didn't have my tag. 
Um, so I wasn't packing. I was just caller. I had um, a new a new hunter with us. It was his second ever elk hunt. His first one ever out with some people that you know had done it before. Before that, he had just been on his own. Um, my cousin, and then I put Jed further down the road in this one setup, and bull comes down. I thought he was going to run over Jared. Like just comes down off the you know. Long call sequence, just no response. And finally, I think I annoyed him enough. He he cues off on us and he comes comes down to find us. He glunks at me. I challenged him. He comes across the road, chuckles at me from our side of the ridge. I cut him off and just a tractor coming down the hill, you know, just here cut sticks flying. And he comes out. He's 44 yards from uh, me and the new hunter. And I had him next to me for a reason. Like, hey, one, I, I always like having a shooter near the collar. Two, I want to make sure you don't do something you shouldn't. <laughs> I, you yeah. know, a lot of things can happen in that instance. And uh, this bull comes out, walks right down to the edge. He's forty-four yards from us, slightly quartering. It was like you're going to wait. You know, you're not going. to – He's at full draw. My Jared's at full draw. Like, no, don't shoot. Don't shoot yet. Wait. And if that bull had gone off the edge of the road, down to the road to try to find you know, the elk that was calling at him, he would have knocked Jared off the cliff. Like oh just that, that close that, and you know, he's a 260 inch six point, you know, a, a decent bull. Um, but so the bull turns, starts walking sideways and I'm still like, I'm trying to range for Noah and trying to keep track of things. I hear Jared's bow go off, bull jumps forward. I cow call, I stop him. He's 24 yards from us. And all we can see is his neck. Neck and head. Tree, you know, big, thick pine tree blocking his front shoulder. Little pine trees covering the rest of him. I have no idea if Jared hit him or not. Jared's, like, kind of running up the road without trying to spook the elk. Like, he's waving his hands, but I can't turn my head far enough to see what he's trying to sign to me. And I'm, you know, he's like, 24 yards, dude. If he steps, as soon as he steps forward, bury that pin and kill this thing. Like, just smoke him it's this is easy shot and he stands there for 30 seconds and instead of stepping forward he side hill he just sidesteps up and starts walking away from us but when he turned i see jared's arrow and he was a little i mean still back a rib cage he was still in the diaphragm um quartering away because the bull i guess he after we talked he ended up the bull stepped right as he shot but he was already at a quartering away angle. So it didn't affect the exit point as much. So he still got both lungs and probably liver. Yeah. Um, but that, you know, I see that arrow sticking out of the bowl and there's this much of the fletching sticking out, maybe eight inches. And Jared's got a fairly long draw length. And it's like, no, shoot him. Just, just put it up, just shoot him. Don't care. Put it in his butthole. Like Texas hard shot, <laughs> get an arrow in this thing. Like, Let's shoot him, you know, like, cause uphill shot, little back quartering is like, he's going to go downhill at some point. We need more blood to trail. Yeah. We're going to run out of blood. Um, it took us five hours to find that ball. Oh my gosh. We were within <laughs> 10 yards of him six times. He made it maybe 80 yards from where he was shot. Like he looped. He looked to, and we we're on this creek set, you know, this, this finger ridge comes down with two creeks on the sides of it. 
And we shot him kind of at the point and he looped around and just walked off up the hill and we just went quiet and backed around to give him time. And, you know, good blood going uphill. I'm like, okay, this is good that we have blood, but he's going uphill. And that's worrisome. And I'm, we're, you know, we're looking down into the creek bottom to our left and it's, you know, the other side's a north-facing slope that is just absolutely disgusting. Bottom's full of deadfall. Like, if he went downhill and died in there, this is going to take us six hours to get him to the road that we shot him from, you know, let alone the three miles back to camp. If we get to a point, he'd block himself in with deadfall on three sides. And that's where we had last blood. He had looped back around. He went downhill and went back around the ridge to try to go where he came from and died in a tree well. It just fell over uh, another deadfall log underneath the pine tree and was laying. Like, we looked back on our Onyx track, you know, our map, because we were all tracking on Onyx. Like, let's make sure, because we started grid searching. I, I was, I was, I had a little bit in my mind convinced that he went down here and died in this bottom. Like I, he's on this side. There's no way he, you know, climbed and went the other way. He, he's dead over here uh, and he wasn't. Um, but we were within three of us were within 10 yards and we just couldn't see him. Oh my gosh. Um, just, you know, nice six point. We ended up getting him out. We luckily we didn't have too much meat spoilage. I think Jared only lost like maybe 10 pounds out of that back ham that he was laying on. Um, but you know, again, could have gotten a second shot, you know, first, you know, the next shot in that instance, we didn't know that the bull was hit. So obviously we're not taking that shot. Once we knew he was hit, get an arrow in him. Like just, just put an arrow in him because it is great as, you know, that worked out for us and it was a good lesson. You know, it, it's almost a reverse. My third story that I'm about to add on to this will kind of bring the whole thing full circle with, now, my, my bull, I shot twice because I needed to. Jared's bull, we should have shot twice. And so then my brother, who I mentioned earlier, sees that, you know, I shot my bull. Jared shot his bull. I, you know, in my mind, I was like, great, I'm done elk hunting. Elliot's got too much stuff going on. He doesn't want to go elk hunting. He texts me that Monday. Hey, I can go out elk hunting next Sunday. <laughs> okay. Um, I got a spot local here that is the spot I shot my bull two years ago. It's like, Let's go, let's go, you know, we'll do it. So we go in, we drop down, um, hunting the backside of this ranch again, and we get to the back and I drop my pack to lose some layers and I locate bugle and we get a bull coming from the property boundary. I was like, okay, great. I know exactly where he's at. We can get to him, we can get set up and we can get him killed. And two more bulls pipe off down below him. I was like, perfect wind is good. Let's go, dude. So. We dropped down, um, I set him up, and we had a, a wall of scree, not scree, but you know, thick little pecker pole pine, things like that, along this road. And so I like, Elliot, go to the corner, get 30 yards from the corner, because that's your top 10. It'll be a perfect easy shot. I'm gonna bring this bull straight into that corner, you're gonna kill him. Two hours later, that bull still hadn't come around the corner. <laughs> we had just, gone back and forth and I there's cows moving up on the hillside above us so we couldn't you know push around the that edge of that thick stuff if I would have put him at the corner he would have shot the bull at 44 yards 
is there's a pine tree 44 yards from that corner that was just absolutely destroyed that we had heard him destroy. It's just like, oh, okay. Well, he's, and he's still bugling, and, but he's pushing back on. It's like, no, he's, he's going back onto the ranch property. He's going to go up on this ridge and bed. Like, I know exactly where he's going to go bed. We're going to just kind of slow play this, give him 10, 15 minutes, and then we're going to go to the property boundary and just annoy the living hell out of him until he comes down to kick my ass. Like, this is how we're going to play this ball. He's already, he's obviously, he's fired up. He's still bugling from his bed. Like, he's going to come down. And we're walking down, you know, it's still on the access road and coming around the corner and Elliot spots this raghorn out ahead of us. He's like, bull, bull, bull. It's like, great, let's kill him. Like, he's broadside, he's grazing, the wind is in our favor. We were able to put this big pine tree between us and him, walked right in on him. We got to a point that we were 50 yards from the bull. Broadside, Elliot's got a... He's only got a three pin, which I'm currently trying to find him a five pin because I, I, I hate anything less than five for hunting. Um, but 20, 30, 40, 50. I was like, great. He's at, dude, like, hey, he's at 50 yards broadside right now. Take two steps to your left and the grass thins up, but the grass is at 20. Like, you can see through the grass, put your 50 pin through the grass and shoot him. He, he didn't feel comfortable with that shot. So he didn't take it, which that's fine. Um, he got to 19 yards again from this bull. Wow. Goes to draw, and we're bulls downhill from us. And he had kind of, at that point, he'd gotten too close. He had heard, you know, the crunching on the gravel, and he was feeling nervous. When Elliot goes to draw, his limbs break the plane of that grass, and that bull wheels out. And I, we're standing in the middle of the road, no cover, no nothing. It's a younger, you know, raghorn, three and a half year old, nothing major, nice, you know, might have been a six by five, I don't know. And I just, I just be able to just make all the elk noises I can. This bull stops broadside at 60. <laughs> just stops, just staring at me like, what are you? Because he can't smell me. I'm not really moving. Elliot's still at draw. He's parallel to me. He's like, dude, 60 yards, shoot him. And, you know, we had gone over, oh, he knew where he to aim the hits for 60. He, he, his shot breaks loose, bull whirls. I was fairly confident he missed. I stopped the bull again at 65. Dude, 65, <laughs> like you might like try to get another, we, we try to get another shot. I'm, I'm at full draw at this point. Just, you know, if I see blood, I'm, I'm touching off and shooting. Cause it's at this point we have a wounded animal. We need to get him on the ground in my mind. This bull starts walking away from us. So we're running, paralleling him on the road. You know, he's maybe 30, 40 yards away from us this entire time. Just we're trying to find angles to get him to stop in an opening where we could shoot him. And he gets to this one point and I'm looking at him like, okay, he's 60 yards from us right now, but there's a tree that it's going to deflect the arrow. We can't make that shot. And he starts acting funny. Like he starts doing the stumble and the tripping. It's like, no way you heart shot this bull you know, he gets there and he stands there and then he does four feet sideways and tips over nice <laughs> i look back at my brother he's like dude elk hunting's not supposed to be this easy this is your second day out and you just shot your first elk ever with a bow like i'm not even paying attention to the elk anymore like he's dead 
off my mind. I, I text my cousin, hey, we're at the backside of this ridge. Can you come uh, start driving? We're going to start processing Elliott's elk here in a minute, and it's a two-and-a-half-mile pack out. Like, come help us pack out, walk back up to grab my grunt tube and all the stuff we yard sailed. He's calling his wife. You know, we're all excited. <laughs> and it's like, okay, let's go, let's go find your arrow now. You know, five minutes go by. I'm like, that's, I, we saw the bull die. Like, not a big deal. Walk over to where the bull was standing when he shot him. And, you know, he's shooting, he's shooting a triax, uh, 28 inch draw. His arrows are, they're a little light for what I would like them. He's probably in the 410 range. Um, shooting QAD, QAD fixed heads. The Exodus 125. I was like, but you know, at, at 60 yards, that arrow is going to be laying right here because we didn't see it in the elk. Like, if you got a pass through, that arrow is right here somewhere. No arrow. There's no hair in the tracks, no blood. We, we go to the spot, second spot the bull stopped, tracking him, and it's like, dude, there's no hair here. There, there's still no blood and hair. Like, I'm a little, in the back of my mind, I'm going, wait, what? We find the arrow 40 yards past where the bull is standing, just buried in the dirt, about eight inches, completely clean. And, you know, that immediately is like, oh, shit. So I look up. The bull's gone. He's pieced, you know, just disappeared into the woods. There is a barbed wire fence that was under the pine needles that he was standing on that was now exposed. He tripped and fell. Oh my gosh! That's a that is the wildest encounter I've ever heard of, dude. Just absolutely bananas. Like I, we found the spot. You know, there's barbed wire now, like all mangled up, coming out of the pine needles. You see where this elk body hit? You know, we there's no there's you know there's some tan hair there. You know, there's a little bit of hair, but it's just hair that fell off the bull. There's no blood. There's no nothing. The arrow is spotlessly clean, minus the dirt on the broadhead. And it just goes from like all the way up here to what the hell. So, the, 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 like I mentioned, that reverse lesson, if we would have paid attention, because that bull tripped 40 yards from us, where he finally fell over, we could have taken three steps down the hill and stood there and watched him. And if he would have stood up, we could have shot him at 40 yards. Perfect broadside. So we had both assumed he was dead and just let him, oh let him be. So it's like all, you know, going that follow up. Like if you can get it and you can see that animal, do it. Yeah. Get that Every shot. Time. Cause it, it was, you know, the difference between my brother shooting his first elk first, actually his first ever animal with a bow to, okay, well now we have a long pack out, you know, Call Jared. Hey, actually, you don't have to drive an hour and a half to come help us back out. We missed. Like, just huge high and low, right? So, it, elk hunting's so much fun. <laughs> so, for anybody listening, and if you're wanting to get out west, the elk hunt, be prepared for physical and mental roller coasters. I mean, the hiking and just the mental beat down. It, I mean, yeah. It's not like that on every hunt, but I've seen more often than not, like you, you shoot an animal and if you don't see it go down, 
you start beating yourself up, you start second guessing, you start questioning where you hit. It doesn't matter how many eyes were on it when it hit. Like you start questioning everything if you don't see it go down right away. Oh yeah, yeah. Such a good lesson for the listeners. I mean, if you've never been elk hunting, like the like Ethan, your stories are just like a testament to like why people get so serious about shot placement your broadhead construction, what kind of bullet you're shooting. It's like, these critters are tough. Yeah. And I'm, you know, that's God broadhead. We could have a whole another two hour podcast of just us discussing broadheads and arrow setups. All all of our listeners would abandon us by the time we get done (laughs) arguing single bevel versus double bevel. Those were some of the greatest elk hunting stories ever. And I'm looking and going, dude, we're an hour and 15 minutes into this thing already. I feel like we started talking 20 minutes ago. Cause I was just like <laughs> completely locked in. So yeah, I mean, it may end up being a follow-up episode type of thing, but uh, I don't want to take up all your guys' time tonight. And I know I've got a couple of kids to put to bed here in just a minute, but I don't want to let you go without you sharing with everyone about your company, uh, about your podcast and about your social media handles. Um, because yeah. I know you've got a lot going on and, uh, yeah, hopefully this can push some traffic that way. That'd be awesome. Yeah. So one, I guess first, so red patch outdoors was started by my, uh, hunting partner, Jed. Uh, he's an ex Marine. He started the company back in 2020. I became an official partner this year. Last year I was, uh, um, don't tell the IRS an unofficial partner. Um, <laughs> it's just easier for tax purposes last year. Um, but we, Made, make modular vinyl harnesses and gear. Uh, you know, him being an ex-Marine, he liked having the Molly chest rig mm-hmm. and being able to set up his vinyl harness however he wanted. Yeah. Um, so that that's how we started. Morphed into, you know, the, our, the things that we were now focusing on are we've made a bugle tube keeper. So he got really annoyed with me saying, hey, can you put my grunt tube in my backpack? <laughs> um been there so we we made a magnetic hip belt attachment that okay. goes right on your pack or your belt and you can magnet your grunt tube to it put a shot cord on it um you know i like it because it pairs with um because I, I do like doing most of the calling it's not that they can't call it's that i won't let them um we developed a three-point sling for a bow so you guys both bow hunt, right? Oh yeah. yeah. Bow slings are notorious for you got to take them off. They get in the way. They don't work, right? Yep. So I my bow's actually in the shop right now, so I don't have it. But um, it's called the Bow Dangler. It's on our website, redpatchoutdoors.com. Um, our wives actually named it, sitting at a three D. But being as you guys can see me, so this is the the strap on it. We basically just have two little quick connect points that go on your riser, mm. top and bottom. So then when you go to shoot, so it's all, you know, for a right-handed shooter, it's a left-hand carry. These two points are hanging on your bow, so you can go strings down, strings up. When I'm calling, I roll my bow strings up, and I put an arrow in. Yeah. Because I, my hands are free. My bow's sitting there. It's not on a tree or something. So I can call, I can rake, I can do whatever I need to. Then when you need to shoot, all you have to do is disconnect the top and punch your arm out. Nice. Oh, nice. Yeah. That's sweet. 
So it completely, you know, kind of this, we came up with this uh, last year. We, we launched it last June or July. Uh, we were down at, we went to Salt Lake Town Expo with it this year. Really well received down there. Um, just a fun, it, we were packing my cousin's elk out, still able to shoot. Yeah. Because we were all carrying our bows on our sides instead of on our packs. Mm-hmm. You know, it's. Man, that's sweet. That is sweet. It, you know, you guys want to try it, message me and we'll, we'll get you guys one because it's. It just changes the way you, you pack your bow. You know, 3D shoots, whatever. It's just, you're not carrying your bow. It's, yeah. you know, everyone's like, I don't like having stuff hang off my bow. No, 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 no. Your bow's hanging off you. Yeah. You know, it, it it's like a rifle sling. It, yeah. Yeah, you have I, to have a pack system. I'm still convincing Dan he needs to dive into archery elk, and he's just, like, loving all the archery elk stories, but we'll definitely. Dan, okay. We'll, so we'll then that will tie there. That's a beautiful segue into the third item we have. Um, so we started a thing. So this year with the, you know, that, that whole story I just shared with the elk hunting, um, we've been working pretty closely with a company called Mountain Archery Fest. Uh, have you guys heard of them? Yeah. Um, Brandon's a good friend of mine. Uh, he started doing blacktail last year. I've gone to every shoot he's had here in Montana. Uh, we're going to four events this year with them. Uh, Soldier Hollow in Beaver, Utah. Antelope Butte in Wyoming, uh, Beaver Point in Utah, and then Blackdale here in Lakeside, Montana. Um, but from all of the, you know, the experiences that both Jed and I have with bow hunting, because I will, I will tell you, I've probably made every bad shot you can make with a bow on an animal, on a target, whatever. I have made that bad shot. You know, this year I had a, what I thought was a good shot but I was able to recover from it because of my second shot. Right. Um, so we started a thing called the school of hard knocks N O C K S not K N O K S um, to try to help new archery hunters or new, you know, people that are new into bow hunting or say you've been bow hunting for three, four years and you're not having the success you want to have. Um, for those of you that don't know mountain archery, Fest, it, it's a lot like total archery challenge. They yep. set up 3D course on a ski hill in a big area, yeah. set up realistic hunting shots, and you go out and you shoot it, you know? Just go out and have fun, first and foremost, is always go out to have fun. Um, but we're structuring a course with them this year where you'll shoot down with either myself or Jed, and we're going to go over frontal shot placement, hard quartering shot placements, um, high end, you know, high heartbeat, high stress, steep angle, Mm. shots that you know we might we won't be shooting from necessarily their designated pin that everyone else is going to shoot from because they still try to give you a fairly broadside shot or yeah you know relatively it the a sentence that bothers me a lot when i go to 3d shoots is oh that's not an ethical shot it's like yeah i 100 agree with you that's not an ethical shot i'm never going to shoot 330 yards at a bear with my bow <laughs> but I'm on a mountain and there's nobody around me and I can see all the targets to that bear. I'm going to take a 330 yard shot at the bear, you know, yeah. um, but give people the opportunity and you know, kind of force them to step out of their comfort zone um, to go over the, you know, shoot a frontal, shoot hard quarter. Don't shoot a hard front, you know, a hard quartering two. 
Right. I, I had that happen on a bull and watched him run away with 30 inches of my 31 inch arrow flopping out of the side of the body that I hit him on. Yeah. Dang. Um, you know, that's a sickening feeling. So trying to help, you know, we're not saying we're the best hunters in the world, but we've learned some things that we want to try to help share with some other people to learn how to do. Um, it's called the school of hard knocks. It's on our webpage, redpatchoutdoors.com. It'll be at those four mountain archery fest events. Um, we have initial ascent packs for people to demo. I'm a huge, um, uh, have you guys heard of initial ascent? I haven't. I don't think I have. Um, if you guys are looking for a backpack for hunting, the last pack I will ever buy. Yeah. Um, I had my cousin's pack out was 170 pounds for three miles. My bowl, I had to we to get away from the thicket that he eventually died in because there was we kept hearing things and I had almost 200 pounds on my pack for about a half mile. Um, the best pack that I have had on my back. And I've done, you know, SG, Mystery Ranch, tried the QU, like I've tried them all. They have a phenomenal frame system that you can absolutely load up with weight and it actually improves your posture somehow. Um, check them out. They're great. But we'll have uh, packs for people to demo on the course. So we'll have a bunch of their day packs um, yeah. so that people can try the packs out before they buy it and then they'll get a, a special discount code through the school of hard knocks if they so want, you know, choose to purchase one of those packs, uh, free Onyx membership. Um, and then discounts for, for our website and our gear, uh, working with some other archery shops around locally for discount codes on arrows and things like that. Cause I'm going to guarantee you, I'm going to break arrows on the course. Yeah. So if they don't, then I don't know why they took the lesson from me. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's an opportunity to try things out before you, you have to deal with them in the woods, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so good opportunity there for people to get out and try it. Um, but that, that would be something that, Dan, if you want to get into archery, let's chat because I, I have extra bows. No, no, he's, hey, he's a bow no, no, hunter. No. He's just I'm a hasn't, bow hunter. He I'm hasn't just, given I up just his – haven't done – Yeah. Yeah, I haven't done the western bow hunting thing yet. I bow Dude, hunt. It's all the. It, uh, it's cons- okay. I may, you know, I'm an ignorant Westerner. What? It's all honey. It's all still the same shot placement, just not in tree stands. No, I'm right? just saying. Oh, yeah. Dan's soaking up all the archery elk, like talking about bugling them in, because he hasn't given up his rifle. He likes his I rifle. Do hunt. it, yeah, dude. So Dan, <laughs> awesome. Montana, we'll chat offline because I'm not telling people where to go. <laughs> um, but it, you know be one of those situations for a Western hunting situation on where, cause we're doing it on ski hills. You know, yeah. we're doing yeah. it on mountains that are right next to where people hunt. Um, actually the blacktail told a funny story how her husband actually, uh, shot a, a mule deer buck and brought him up on the ski lift. Wow. <laughs> that, awesome. that was, that was That's kind funny. of a funny story. So, but, um, so yeah, so folks can go to red outdoors, the website, get connected with yep. you. They can get the school of hard knocks learn more about you. Do you have a Instagram page that you guys keep active as well? Yep. Yeah. So redpatchoutdoors.com is the company Instagram and that'll get you to you know, myself or, or Jed's Instagram and all that information. We have our, our websites linked there. So Instagram's probably the, the best way to get to us. We're pretty responsive on there. Uh, we have a Facebook page as well, but it, 
does weird things because I'm signed into two accounts on my phone. So (laughs) it's not a, we're not as responsive. All right. So, so go to Instagram, go to the website, go to Instagram, get yourself a modular vinyl harness and sign up for the school hard knocks. (laughs) Yeah. And a bow dangler. Quit carrying your bow around because it sucks. Yeah. Well, sweet man, Ethan, we appreciate you hopping on man and killer stories. A lot of good information there for, uh, hunters, whether they're first time hunters or first time Western hunters. And, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll be in contact off air yeah. for sure. <laughs> Perfect. That's great guys. Appreciate you guys having me on. It was good chatting with you. And yeah, yeah we should probably do a, a second episode cause I think we could, we could go off on a deep end here and it could be fun. <laughs> we'll have to join. We'll have to, we'll have to guest star on yours for episode two, get a little cross back and forth. Oh yeah. They got to go here. Part two on yours. That's a good idea. Yeah. We could do that. Yeah. That'd be, that'd be real fun. Awesome. Ours is a little more, uh, colorful. That's fine. Hey, <laughs> uh, Hey, we don't, we don't, we don't put any parameters on this one. People just assume. So, uh, Fair we'll, enough. yeah, we'll, we'll hop on yours and do part two. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, well, I guess, yeah, ours is called the Use What You Got podcast presented by Red Patch Outdoors. So anyone want to listen, I think we have like 35 episodes out. It's been a while since we posted, but we, we, we did pretty good for that two week, you know, getting an episode out every two weeks. And it's just like, okay, a little bit of fatigue. Yeah, it yeah. happens. It happens. But we'll fire back up for episode two of the Ethan, Dan, and Brian <laughs> show and uh, post it up on your guys' side. Right on. Sweet, man. Until next time. Great chatting with you. Have a good one. Yeah, thanks for being here, Ethan. Yep. All right. Thanks for listening, folks. Recording stopped.